Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Wonderful. It's great to be together. I'm really pleased because um, as part of our Made for Mission focus for this year, we're starting a, a new series today called Gospel Encounters. We've got these slides yet? Yep, we've got slides. So we're going to start a new series called Gospel Encounters. And what we feel would be really good to do is to spend some time in the Gospels together, but looking at the encounters that Jesus had with people every day. He had encounters every day with everyday people, people just like you and me. And um, I've been reading through the Gospels in the last couple of months, and one of the things that strikes me is that um, although Jesus ministered to multitudes, he taught multitudes, he connected with people one-to-one. So many of the the records that the... um, disciples recorded for us in the Gospels are about his one-to-one encounters um, with everyday people. And that's how Jesus wants us to live, is connecting with people one-to-one. It's obvious when you read the Gospels that Jesus loves people. When I read the Gospels, I come to this conclusion, which is Jesus loves people more than I love people. Jesus loves people more than I love people. But... That is changing, I'm pleased to say. And I hope you would say the same. Jesus loves people more than I do, but that is changing. And I'm loving people more and more every single day. So Jesus ministered to people one at a time. And that is the message this morning. That's my title for this morning is one at a time. Because when we are encouraged that there's a great mission field out there, there's a harvest to bring in, it can be easy to look at the whole field and say how are we going to do that? And the answer is, one at a time. Because that's how Jesus did it. One at a time, that's it, folks. It's as simple and as easy as that, one at a time. And one of the things I've noticed in reading the Gospels recently is that Jesus had a great technique. He is the chief evangelist. So I've been looking at his technique thinking, can I do what Jesus did? And you know, one of the things that he did, I've noticed, is to ask people the right question. Jesus always asked people the right question. He dealt with them one at a time and one conversation at a time. But in that conversation, Jesus always asked the right question. And the question he asked always cut to the heart of the person who was in front of him. And it opened up their life to him. And I believe that's what Jesus wants for us because he's sending us in his stead. And what I'd like to do today is to look at three encounters Look at three encounters that are about three different people in different situations and facing different things. But I think these three people are very similar to people that you and I meet probably every day. And it's really helpful to look at how Jesus dealt with people in these situations. So if you turn with me first to Luke 8 and verse 40. I still haven't got the slide up there, guys. Are you able to put it on the screen or not? Okay, that's fine. That's fine. So we'll, we'll start with Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And we're going, to read with, we're going to read the story of the woman who had a sickness for 12 years. So starting at verse 40. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, 
who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Jesus said, Master, the crowds, sorry, when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came, trembling and falling down, before him declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. It's a wonderful story and one that you're probably quite familiar with. Um, and what's interesting about this story is in the three synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all tell the same story. And in all three cases, there are two females in the story, if you like. There's a young girl and there's a woman. And they're linked together. And I think they're linked together for, for a reason. They're linked together because Jesus was on the way to heal one when he healed the other. They're linked together because this woman had suffered for 12 years, and that was the entire life of this little girl that was dying. So somehow these, these women, these, this girl and this woman, are linked together. And there's a contrast between them. One was the daughter of a very important man. So Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue, which was a very prominent position, a position of um, rule in the community. And his daughter would have been very important because she was his daughter. But this other woman that came to Jesus didn't have any importance at all. In fact, the condition that she had, which was a discharge of blood, under the Levitical law would have made her unclean. She would have been regarded as ritually unclean. So that immediately meant that she would not be able to be in physical contact with her family, with her friends, because she would make them unclean as well. So she was isolated by this, and she was driven to the fringes of society. She obviously covered it up because the people in the crowd didn't realize, and it was kind of her secret, if you like, to those that didn't know her, that she was carrying this thing. So these, this woman and this girl are in two very different positions, and yet Jesus is kind of dealing with them at the same time. The woman knew that she wasn't worthy. Think of everybody else in the gospel stories. Most people, they come up to Jesus, don't they? They come and they stand in his way and they say, son of David. They say, teacher, heal me. People weren't backward in coming forward. But this woman was certainly backward in coming forward because of what she was carrying. She was ashamed of what she was carrying and and that it made her unclean. So she thought, I'm not going to accost him on his way to healing someone that's important. If I can just touch the fringe of his garment, that's enough for me. I'll be healed. I think there are lots of people like her in the world today. 
There are people who feel tainted by their past. It may be physical, it may be emotional, it may be in lots of different ways. But there are people who are carrying around things in this world that they feel taints them and somehow makes them unworthy of God's attention. If there is a God and he's a loving God, I'm not sure he'll be interested in me. And people like this are not really that obvious because they're used to covering it up. They're used to being in a crowd and no one noticing them. And when Ben spoke a bit earlier about the person that was standing and and lots of people were speeding around them, I thought of this woman thinking, that's probably how she felt. You know one of those movies that they get where they do like a time-lapse thing and one person's standing still but everyone else is blurred? I thought maybe that's how she felt all the time, just isolated and, and unworthy. But she was desperate. And because she was desperate, she thought, if I can touch the fringe of Jesus' garment, maybe I'll be healed from this thing because of everything that everyone's saying about him. Now, the fringe of the garment is a really important part of a garment for a Jewish man living in Jesus' time. You see, thousands of years before, a commandment had come that Jewish men would have tassels on the end of their garments. And by Jesus' time, they were wearing prayer shawls with a tassel on each corner. And the instruction from God is that they would make a knot or a tassel with a blue cord in it. And that would symbolize the holiness of God's law. It would be a visible symbol of God's holiness, that they served a holy God. And as time went by, that became more and more important, these fringes, these corners of someone's garment because they didn't just speak about someone who served a holy God but they spoke about the person as well they became personalised and individualised and they spoke about someone's family um, status so we find uh, when Ruth in the story of Ruth she is seeking to become part of Boaz's household and she asks if he will put the corner of his garment over her so that she can be brought into his family and become part of his, his household, which is what happened. He became her kinsman redeemer. So it was, a state, it was about family status, but it was also about authority. So in the story of David and Saul, and before David is king and Saul is still king, you may remember there's an incident where David gets an opportunity when Saul's asleep to cut the corner off his garment And he later holds it up to Saul to say, I could have killed you, I could have taken your life to show to Saul that he didn't intend harm to him. But then David, it says, David became conscience-stricken because he realised what he'd done had actually undermined Saul's authority because this was a symbol of Saul's authority. And Saul was God's anointed. And that's what David said. So the fringe of the garment was really important as someone's family status and their authority and Jesus was wearing one of these garments and in touching the fringe of the garment this woman would have brought her uncleanness to Jesus so although she was ashamed she was so desperate that she would touch this important symbol of Jesus and as we as we go through the story you'll realize how important that then became in the moments that followed now I said at the beginning Jesus asks questions and the questions he asks always open up people's lives he always asks the right question I've asked myself how did he know the question to ask and sometimes it would be nice 
if we had, I don't know, maybe like a little recording, maybe like an earpiece that Jesus carried around where we could hear the conversation going on between him and the Holy Spirit? Would you love to be privy to that conversation? But God has deemed that we are not privy to that conversation. But we know that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. He was led into the desert by the Spirit. He was led out of the desert by the Spirit. And he was led into the mission field by the Holy Spirit. And he was dependent on the Holy Spirit. And he asked us to live and to enter the mission field in the same way, listening to the voice of the Spirit. So I believe that Jesus' questions came from the Holy Spirit. He was led by the Spirit to the right person. And he was given the questions to ask that opened up the situation so that Jesus could then move in that situation to change someone's life. And that, folks, is how we need to be in the mission field. That's it. It's as simple as that. Be led by the Spirit, listen to the Spirit, and do what he says. And that was Jesus' ministry in three simple steps. Be led by the Spirit, listen to what he says, and then do it. And that's all that Jesus did. In this case, the Spirit says to Jesus... Find out who touched you. Now, Jesus knew that someone had touched him and he knew they'd been healed. But he said, who was it that touched me? And we know that this woman was so ashamed that she didn't come forward. In fact, it says in the narrative here that when all denied it, Peter said, Jesus, everybody's touching you. What's the big deal? And he said, no, no, I'm not asking everyone. I'm asking one person. I'm asking the person who touched me. And you have to say, what was the purpose of the question? Was it to embarrass this woman? Jesus would never embarrass anybody, and neither would we. Jesus wanted to expose this woman, but for a reason. He wanted to restore her publicly before everyone. You see, she would have been unclean in the community, and he, well, he would know by the Holy Spirit that she needed to be publicly recognized as having been healed and cleansed in the community, that her standing would be restored to her. But also that he wanted to heal her. To restore her publicly, he would have to say that she'd been healed. Now, there's two things that are going on here. First of all is this. She touched the fringe. She touched that symbol of Jesus' authority, of his family, of his household. And what did Jesus say to her? What was Jesus' response to Can anyone remember? Daughter. He says daughter. We have a young woman at the beginning of this story who is a daughter, who is in a place of honour and importance, and we have another woman who seems to be nobody's daughter and is an outcast and a nobody. And at the end of the story, we have Jesus saying, daughter. You see, he wasn't only just healing her, he was restoring her. He was making her part of his family part of his household. He was saying, there are people amongst us that don't feel like they belong to anyone. They're tainted by what's gone on in their life. But Jesus wants to touch them. He wants to heal them of it. And he wants to restore them and make them part of his, part of his household. The really interesting thing is that he healed her by touching this fringe. And you know, there's a scripture in, in the book of Malachi. The prophet talks about the Messiah, and he says, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You remember that? We've, I think we've sang that in songs. Well, that word wings is the same as the word fringe because it means the fringe feathers of a bird. It's the feathers that are on the fringe. 
And it's also the same word in the book of Numbers where God says, on the fringe of your garment, I want you to make these tassels that speak of my holiness. So this, in our very midst, is a messianic prophecy coming true. (laughs) How honoured this woman was that she was the recipient of the words that Malachi had spoken hundreds of years previously. God was restoring and making her honoured amongst all people. There's a big contrast here between this young woman and this young girl and this woman. But Jesus restores the woman who had no family, no status, and was unclean. I think there are lots of people in this world that we are meeting every day that you might have a, maybe a, a coffee with at work, maybe someone you chat to at the bus stop, maybe someone that you just see frequently, and everything looks fine on the surface because they're covered up. But actually, there's something in their past. They're just tainted. And Jesus wants you to be him. See, Jesus walked by her. That's all he did. And there are people that are so desperate that they just want to grab you as you walk by. And we need to be attentive to those people. We need to be listening to the Spirit. Say, Lord, show me the ones who are tainted so that they can touch the hem of my garment, so that I can tell them about you, so I can talk to them about healing and restoration and everything that they need to hear. It's a wonderful story. Just want to look at another story now from Matthew's Gospel. If you go with me to Matthew 19. See, Jesus deals with people one at a time, but he deals with people so powerfully. And I don't want us to read the Gospels and think, well, that was okay for Jesus, but I just don't think I'm up to that. You see, Jesus dealt with people one at a time, but he dealt with people one conversation at a time. And that's all he asks of us, is just to deal with people one at a time. And I want to look at another story now, in Matthew chapter 19, and this is the story of the rich young man. And this young man was dissatisfied with the present. He wasn't concerned about his past, he was concerned about his present. And he says this, Matthew says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And this is a man who is just trying to find out, what good deed do I need to do to have eternal life? It's a big ask, isn't it? But this is someone who, on the face of it, had done everything required of him in life. Jesus didn't disagree with that. The young man said, look... All of the commandments, I've kept them. I've done all that you've asked me to do. 
but he still knew he was lacking something. He's the one that asked the question. He still knew something was lacking. So he says to Jesus, so what do I still lack? Now Jesus' question is the thing that opens up the real issue for this young man. So what does Jesus ask him? He says, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Why do you ask me about what is good? The young man was looking in the wrong place for his answers. Jesus says there is only one who is good. So in in Matthew's gospel, um, it says only God is good. So Jesus was saying, you're asking me about what is good, but you're looking in the wrong place. You should be asking who is good. It's not what commandment do I need to keep, but who do I need? And what you're missing is God. What you're missing is me. Come and follow me. And the young man was unhappy with his life, even though seemingly he kept all of God's commandments. So you could say, well, he didn't really have many problems, did he, if you could keep all of God's commandments. But also he was wealthy as well. So he kind of ticked every box, didn't he? You think, why is this guy unhappy? Because he really didn't have God in his heart. He just had things. He accumulated commandments. Done that, tick, done that, tick. Got that, tick. But that's not what life is about. And that's why he was dissatisfied with the present. He was looking in the wrong place. And then Jesus' direction to him is to sell all his possessions. Now, who here thinks that that is a commandment for all of us? Anyone? This commandment was for this young man. Because Jesus deals with people one at a time. What's right for one is not necessarily right for another. And we mustn't have a brushstroke approach to the harvest. No one person is the same as any other person. That's the amazing thing about God's creation. Everybody's different. Seven billion and counting, all different. When we get to eight billion, all different. Because that is the variety of God's creation. And that means every single person we meet, we cannot use the same technique. We must treat them as an individual. We must see people as individuals and just deal with them one at a time. This young man, his response was then exposed by Jesus' question. Because he said, well, I can't do that. I can't give up those things. So in other words, this is where my heart is. As Jesus said previously, where your heart is there, your treasure will be also. And Jesus had exposed that in the young man. I think there are lots of people who seem to have everything in life. But they know they're lacking something. You know, I had a really uh, interesting conversation with um, someone I work with last year. We were on a train coming back from Birmingham together. And we just chatting away. And sometimes things come out of left field with people where you're not really expecting it. And I wasn't really expecting this. And this, um, this colleague of mine, he's got young children, and he was talking about all the things he needs to do at the weekend with them, and he's got to do this, got to do that. And then he just said, you know, you just try to do your best, don't you? But sometimes you just wonder whether it's enough. And I was, I was looking at something, and I thought, what? <laughs> Where did that come from? Because previously we'd been talking about some economic data that we'd just been reviewing a bit earlier. And suddenly, he, this is where he goes. But I remembered Anna's 
instruction to us, which is listen for harvest language. And I thought, that's harvest language. That's what Anna was talking about. So, right, okay, click into harvest mode. Here I am thinking, right, get your head out of the economics. What, how am I going to respond to this? And I just asked him a question. Why do you think it's not enough? And then he just started to talk about he's trying to be a good dad and he's trying to be a good employee. And, I, and suddenly, in his response, things started to add up that I've, I've worked with him for a few years. Things that he would say in meetings and that, I suddenly, he, like this picture of him started to form right in front of me because the real him started to sort of come into focus. All those things I thought about him had been based on things he'd said to other people. And I thought, I'm seeing something different in you now. And it was simply because of the question that I asked. And the question he asked, I guess. But there are loads of people like that who are trying to do their best. A member of my family said to me at Christmas, we had a lovely time together, and as they were literally going out the door, it was one of those moments again where you say, what? And a member of my family said, I'm going to try to be a better person next year. And I said, I said, there's no point. There's no point trying to be a better person. There's no point for any of us being a better person. But I said, why, why do you say that? And he said, but just because there's things I keep doing again and again. And unfortunately, he was literally going out the front door. And I didn't get a chance to carry on that conversation. But when I see them again, I'm going to have a question ready to pick up where we left off. Because there are lots of people who are just trying to be better people a better version of themselves. But they're looking in the wrong place. It's Jesus that they need, and we need to be the ones to say, forget it. It's not going to be in any of those things, including you. You're not the answer to you either. There's only one person that is, and that's Jesus. That's the answer that this young man had. My hope, you know, is that this young man one day got to the point where he realised that all these things he had, these possessions that for the time being were satisfying him, he would realise, you know what, that Jesus was right. That's what I like to think. Who knows? We'll find out when we get to heaven. I'm going to look for him and see if he's there. <laughs> so let's look at a third um, encounter of Jesus. This, this one is about the lame man by the pool. So if you want to turn with me to John 5. John 5. Now this is a man who, as we'll see when we read this story, was just despondent about the future. Really, not that uncommon. So reading from verse 1, so John chapter 5 and verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy. Which has five roofed colonnades, In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool, and when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going in, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. 
the first thing that occurs to you is that 38 years is a long time. We thought 12 years was bad when we started, didn't we? Can you imagine 38 years? You know, there's something I have come to learn in life. And just, I just want to talk to the younger folks amongst us. Don't be offended. When you're young, you don't realize that some things that start off as a habit, very quickly, a day turns into a week, and a week turns into a month, and a month turns into a year. And very quickly, years start to roll by. And when you're young, you don't really have any perception of that. Because time seems to drag on forever already sometimes. But that's because you haven't experienced much of life. But as you get older and you have more years under your belt, the years start to go quicker and quicker and quicker. And what you start to realize, sometimes too late, is that you've already missed years that have gone. And sometimes you get into patterns of doing things, maybe in the way that you think, maybe in the way you speak and the way that you act. And what starts out as something that was just a few days turns into a few weeks, turns into a few months and a few years. And those of us that are older have experienced that. There will be habits that we've had to deal with that started out as small habits but just went on and on and on because we didn't deal with them. And the longer you take to deal with those things, the harder it is to deal with them. So I can't give you my brain, I can't put my brain in yours to give you my perception, but what I can do is to equip you and say, those things that need to be dealt with, those things that you know need to be put right, deal with them now. Don't waste the years. This is a man who was there for a day, then he was there for a week, then he was there for a month, then he was there for a year, then it was five, then it was ten, then it was twenty, then it was thirty-eight years. It's a long time, and it can happen to anybody. And we will meet people every day who have been living with things for this kind of length of time, that are so ingrained and so embedded in a life that they seem completely intractable. They seem unchangeable, fixed, set in stone. And this was the situation that this man was in. This was a pool, Bethesda, that people would... Um, go into when the waters were stirred the first one in was believed to be the one that would get the healing and this man couldn't get there first so he was there for 38 years now hopeless and friendless what's interesting to me is that this man doesn't accost Jesus at all he doesn't start this conversation Jesus goes to him And he starts with a question that kind of seems a bit insensitive, really. Do you want to be healed? If if someone was praying for you and they asked you, do you want to be healed, would you be offended by that? Maybe, I don't know, maybe you would. I don't know. I think it's a fair question. Do you want to be healed? You see, when change comes, if it's healing or anything else, it always brings implications. And sometimes we want God to do something, but we're not necessarily prepared for what then follows, the consequences of that, the change that comes with that. And that's why Jesus asked the question, do you want to be healed? Because your life is going to change. What you've been used to will change. So it's a question that opens the man up again. It's one of Jesus' questions that opens up her life. What does the man say? Let's just read it again. He says, 
Verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going down, another steps down before me. There are two things this exposes in the man's life. Number one, nothing ever changes for me. It's been this way for 38 years. It's not going to change. And the second thing is this. Other people always come before me. Nothing will change for me and other people always come before me. Do you know there are loads of people in this world who feel that way about themselves? Nothing ever changes for me and I'm always at the back of the queue. Good things happen to other people. Have you heard anyone say that? I've heard loads of people say that. Good things always happen to other people. Maybe one day I'll I'll win the lottery. I'll buy a lottery ticket. But it'll always be someone else. It won't be me. Lots of people feel this way. And lots of people just don't have any hope that their situations will change. Often it's health. But let's be honest, it can be your financial situation. It can maybe be a family situation that you have to deal with. It can be any of these things that become chronic. They start out as acute, as a problem to be dealt with, but over time, they just turn into a a chronic, intractable, unchangeable problem. And we just get used to it. And it robs us of our hope. And there are so many people like this around that are feeling despondent about the future. So many people like this man. I had a conversation with another one of my colleagues just before Christmas. This was a really interesting conversation. So we're in, we've got an office in Nottingham where I'm based. And he and I are in this office and we're running a workshop. We're not running it, but someone else is from London. And there were several offices and there's a big TV screen and there's us in the, on this corner and then there's about five other little pictures of the offices. And we're all on the same kind of video conference. But we're taking breaks through this conference because we were there for three hours. I cannot tell you how dull it was. (laughs) It was about taking transfers out of the NHS pension scheme. (laughs) So it was really dull. So in the breaks, we were chatting, literally just to breathe some life into the room. And um, at one point, this colleague of mine says, uh, so I was talking to my, my daughter the other day at bedtime, I was reading a story, and then she, she, one of our relatives has died, and she said, um, she said, Daddy, what happens to people that die? And uh, he said, I, I didn't really know what to say. So I said, um, well, what do you think happens? Don't you know? And he said, well, he said, I, I, I used to be agnostic, so I kind of wasn't sure. And then he said something, which is one of the most terrible things I've ever heard. He said, but I think I've just come to believe that there isn't anything else. And actually, once you're gone, it, it doesn't really matter, does it? We're just kind of, we're here, we're gone. And that's, that's kind of all there is to it. And then he said this, and he said, I think I've just sort of come to accept that, really. I've come to terms with it. And I sat there, and I could almost cry. Because I thought, this is a lie of the enemy that's robbed someone of all that God's got for them. And uh, I just said, he said, you're religious, aren't you? 
So I said, uh, no. <laughs> we love saying that, don't we? Nope. I like, the, I like to keep them hanging on. I don't explain that. I just say, no. Oh, okay. I mean, I thought you went to church, you know, and you get, you get crutch and crutch. And then you, you tease it out, don't you? You say, I'm a Christian, yeah. And he said, well, what do you believe then? And I said, well, I used to believe like what you did. And then I came to this point where I, I just could I thought, what's the point? If this all there is to life, just getting old, and maybe if you're lucky, you meet the right person, and maybe if you're lucky, you don't get divorced, and maybe if you're lucky, you have children that you get on with, and maybe if you're lucky, you have enough to live on and a comfortable retirement, and then that's it. I'm not even sure it's worth it. And I said to him, but then I had an encounter with God in my mid-teens, and everything changed for me. And then he turned around to me and he said, I think something happened on the video thing. It came back on, then it went off, you know, on a break. And then he said, you know, you said you had an encounter with God. What was that then? And at that very moment, the conference started up again. (laughs) And five other offices popped on the screen. And we were suddenly back in conference. So that conversation will have to continue. But, you know, folks, it's just one conversation at a time. And it's one person at a time. And it's just asking the right question. And people will listen. They're hungry and they want to know. But there's just an outer shell around everybody. And we, and we just have to listen to the spirit, ask the right question, and the shell starts to come off. And we start to see the real person. You know, this man that was healed, Jesus responded to him not with words but with actions. And sometimes we need to do that. We can't talk people into the kingdom. We've got to respond with actions. And sometimes that means we just have to heal people. Simple as that. Jesus did it. We're going to do it. And in healing him, he was telling the man, there's no queue. You think that you're at the back of a queue to go into the pool. I'm not going to help you into the pool. I'm not going to help you join the queue. I'm just going to heal you. Because there's no queue with me. Everybody gets my full attention. Everybody is important enough for me to have my one-to-one attention. And you know, that will be a complete revelation to people that don't know him. This God that runs the whole universe, I get his full attention? Yes, you do. Because he can give everyone his full attention all at the same time. Isn't he amazing? And Jesus was saying, there's no cue. And that which is intractable for you can change in an instant. And that's what we need to tell people. It can be a little challenging because the things that people will tell you, will share with you, you think, whoa, that's a mountain. But we've got to be bold because we're not saying, I'm here to move the mountain. What we're saying is, Jesus is in me and he can move your mountain. He can move a mountain that's been there for 38 years and he can move it in an instant. And those words of faith are all someone needs to hear to believe and grab hold of Jesus as he's passing by. Jesus began his kingdom ministry on earth and what he began to to do and to teach, Luke says, when he writes the continued adventures of Acts. He says, all that Jesus began to do or teach, we continued. This is what we did. We did what he did. So his disciples have continued 
his ministry. And we are still here continuing his ministry, for we are his disciples as well. When we get to Acts 3, Peter and John are going to the temple, and there's another lame man there. And what does Peter do? He takes him by the hand and he looks him in the eye. So many times Peter had seen Jesus do the same thing. He takes someone and he looks them in the eye. And they wouldn't always be smiling at him like Carl is at me right now. (laughs) They would after he'd healed them. And that's all the disciples did. How did Jesus do it? Oh, we saw how he did it for three years. Let's just do the same thing. And we're the same. We need to do the same thing. Because like Peter, we are Jesus in the mission field. And we can do all the things that Jesus did. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to people in a crowded room. One person will stand out to you. It may be something they say. It may be in their demeanor. Maybe in a conversation they're having with someone else. And the Holy Spirit says, that's the one. It may be someone you know. It may be someone you don't even know. And you think, I just need to strike up a conversation because there's going to come an opportunity for me to ask a question that's going to open that person up. And when they open up, I'm going to pop the seed of Christ in there. And it may be that then I'm on my way and I may never see them again. But that's all I'm here to do. One person at a time, one conversation at a time. Listening to the Spirit, asking the right questions as he leads us. I just want to pray to finish. And I just, Lord, I just want to, Lord, we just want to acknowledge that you have sent us into the mission field. Lord, we want to agree with you that we are your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, Lord. We want to agree with you that the fields are ready for harvest, Lord. Our prayer this morning is that you would lead us every day to everyday people. Lord, that you would help us to focus on them one at a time, just to take people one at a time, that you would enable us, Lord, to see what's really going on in their lives. Show us, Lord. Give us those questions that you ask, Lord, the questions that expose the heart of a person. And Lord, we pray that you would then give us boldness to tell them what they need to hear about you. Move through us every day, Lord, we pray, as we go out into the mission field, Lord, Lord, I pray that you use us to lift heads that are down, to point people to you, and to change lives in an instant, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.